Hello, and welcome to this Net Zero Investor Podcast. I'm Monica Woodley, and today I'm talking with Noir Al-Sadi, Chief Impact Officer at Scope4 Capital, about water scarcity and the potential of private investment to help meet this challenge. I know this is one of the areas of focus at COP27, as water is of particular concern to the host country, with the Nile still the backbone of the Egyptian economy, agriculture, and culture. This year, across Africa, as well as Europe, parts of Asia, the Americas, and Australia, we've seen record-breaking droughts create huge water shortages, which has, in turn, affected food and energy production, sanitation, and the economy. Another factor that we need to think about with water scarcity is that 10% of global um, emissions can be traced to water management, distribution, and purification. So a few issues to, to think about there. Noir, could you start with giving us just a brief overview of the growing freshwater challenge? Yeah, of course. And it's always a pleasure to chat with you, Monica. The freshwater challenge is obviously it's, it's, it's a critical challenge, and it's uh, it's problem that unfortunately will continue to grow. According to the United Nations today, 2.3 billion people live in water stress regions with about 700 million living in, in, in regions with extreme water scarcity. According to the UN projections, by 2050, 6 billion people will live in water stress regions. That's about 60% of the world population by that point. One reason why this is becoming a bigger problem is that climate change has an impact on water. As a matter of fact, water is one of the critical channels with which people are going to experience climate change, whether it is through floods or extreme rain or uh, the melting of glaciers, which are a source of drinking water as well for many communities, or droughts on on, on the other extreme. Climate change is affecting the the water cycle, and, and that has implications on drinking water as well as on water we use for agriculture. And I think one dimension of the water scarcity problem that is that goes under the radar is that people don't know that 87% of global electricity generated from thermal, nuclear, and obviously hydroelectric sources depend on water availability. So when we have water scarcity, we just don't lose access to water, but we also potentially could lose access to energy. So it is a, a critical issue and, and, and it requires both uh, investors' attention as well as just people's attention general and, and, and governments. It, perhaps it would be helpful for us to understand how we got here. So what's really driving freshwater demand growth? Uh, I don't know. You've probably seen the, uh, the the headlines, Monica. We've just r- reached 8 billion people living on this planet. So uh, one of the key reasons why we have increasing water demand is just there are more of us. And there are more of us are living also in the residential areas and uh, with a higher standard of living. So in, since 1960, actually, residential water demand worldwide has increased sixfold. And the same for industrial water demand, which uh, has tripled uh, over that period of time. As we industrialize and, and as we move away from an agrarian society, um, but having said that, agriculture still is the largest consumer of fresh water of about seventy percent of total demand going toward agriculture, and this number has been growing. Uh, just the total pie for for water demand has been growing by about one percent a year since the nineteen eighties, and it's expected to continue to grow by one percent a year over the next twenty five years or so to 2050, which means another 20 to 30% increase in water demand by mid-century. So do these trends translate equally between regions or are there any notable differences? 
There are really major differences. Usually when you give a global number like that, when you say 70% of water demand goes to agriculture and you know 10% to residential, 20% to industrial, these kind of numbers really mask major global differences. So just to kind of cut the pie in two, if you look at developed countries, the majority of water demand actually uh, is tied to industrial uses. That's about 60% of water demand. That equation flips to 80% demand for uh, agriculture in less developed countries. And there are obviously, there are differing implications to that different water usage patterns in terms of, in terms of the impact on these populations if there is a, a lack of water, but there are also different global implications. So if you lose water in a developed region, you may feel that across the global supply chain. And we did feel that in 2020 and 2021 in Taiwan, there was a major drought that lasted for a couple of years and that disrupted microchip production. For people who don't know, Taiwan produces over 50% of the world microchips and 90% of the highest purity microchips and producing microchips and semiconductors is, is very water intensive. That lack of water contributed to shortages that we continue actually to feel up to today, and it has spread to many industries. So that's one example of how a water shortage in a single region can spread outside of the boundaries of that region. And and, and on the other side of that, in a, in, a, in a more, I would say, in a less developed country in Brazil, although obviously it's a vibrant and a large economy, when there was a shortage of water uh, this year, earlier this year, we've seen that in higher coffee prices because Brazil is a is large coffee producer. So it is important for investors to understand that when we talk about water scarcity and water shortages, we're not talking about a specific region in the sense that the implications are limited only to that region. Uh, the implications can go global and could impact their portfolios, for example, even though they have no exposure at all to any of these regions. What are some of the social and economic costs caused by water scarcity? I mean, obviously, the, the tragic cost of water scarcity starts with a number that I can share from the United Nations, which assumes that each day, on average, 1,000 children die because preventable diseases tied to water and, and, and sanitation and the access to clean water and clean sanitation facilities. So to me, that obviously, that's the highest cost. That's something we need to address outside of any investment considerations. But I would say there are also uh, other social uh, issues, such as in the areas where there is water scarcity, there is a, a disproportional burden on women and girls to collect water. In households where there is lack of water, 80% of that responsibility to collect water goes to the women and girls in, in, in these households. In uh, certain regions like the Middle East, which has always struggled with water scarcity, according to a paper by Purdue University, the economy and in, in many in, in many of these countries in that region could shrink by 10% between today and 2050 because of water scarcity in, in particular. And I mean, we understand how delicate the geopolitical situation has been in this region. So increased stress on, on water resources will only exasperate what is already a very tenuous balance in the Middle East. Is there an investment case for the private sector to get involved in water? Um, I know there are calls to see significant increases in, in water investments. The EU alone is, is needing an extra about 290 billion euros by 2030. But water has traditionally been very much government funded. That's a very important question and area to explore, Monica. I mean, 
obviously there is a tremendous need for additional water investment and there's a strong economics case for it. According to the World Bank, every dollar invested in water access and sanitation yields $6.8 in returns. The challenge here is that when we talk about $6.8 in returns, we're talking about core benefits that the private sector may not directly profit from. So we're talking about less disease, uh, you know, better health outcomes. We're talking about maybe better living conditions for the people living in these communities. So the number is actually is goes beyond the immediate access to water and include many other benefits. Some of them obviously flow to the private sector uh, because water is such a such a unique commodity. I mean this is not something you can buy and hoard. This is a right for every citizen to have access to water. And because of that reason, the private sector has always struggled to invest in water because of its kind of public service nature. And and we see this in the numbers. I mean, you alluded to that. You said governments are usually funding uh, water infrastructure. And that's true. 94% of water supply and sanitation financing worldwide is funded by governments. Only 6% comes from commercial sources. And if you look at institutional investment portfolios and holdings, only 1.6% of these portfolios uh, have an allocation to uh, water supply infrastructure. So here we have a very important investment need, and we have uh, the private sector that can play an important role, but it doesn't because of the specific nature of water and and, and the fact that it is difficult for some of these investors to invest and, and, and collect a return. Now, if you are thinking of investing in in water, I think there are really um, there are some ways to think about it. I mean, we can dive into them if if you'd like, Monica. So, for investors who are wanting to get involved in water, what are the types of public equity market investments that they can make? Well, so at Scope for Capital, we're we're focusing on climate impact, and in in that context, obviously, addressing water is something that uh, kind of fits our investment philosophy. But just at a higher level and outside of what we're doing at Scope for, when investors think about water, they should classify it in three buckets. Uh, the first one is investing in water purification recycling, treatment, and that could be, um, uh, could be as also would obviously include waste management uh, companies or companies developing technologies in, in these areas. The other bucket would be uh, water supply and infrastructure. Uh, so obviously, when investing in water, you do need to invest in significant infrastructure to transport it, to distribute it. And um, in this instance, utilities or water utilities will be a natural home for investment in that type of water-related investment. And then finally, you need to think about water conservation and efficiency. That's another way investors can invest in water. And this latter point, I think, is really a critical point because this last point may not actually pertain to water investments directly. A lot of people, when they think about water investment, they think, well, you know, what? how could I invest in water? But if you think about the comment you started this conversation with about the fact that 10% of GHG emissions are tied to water management, treatment, and distribution, you can think about any investment that improve the energy efficiency of the process of distributing water or or generating energy could ultimately have a positive impact on water. So if you replace certain sources of energy, uh, such as thermal or nuclear or or hydro with solar or wind or geothermal, you're probably in that case reducing the water intensity of energy production, which will 
contribute to water. If you are investing in plant-based food rather than uh, investing in, in, in meat, then you are encouraging a reduction in, in water consumption because the water intensity of plant-based food is much less than meat. So investors should think about water investment more holistically. And even though they might be targeting another sector, they might be indirectly contributing to water. And if they could do that, if they could hit both their initial sustainability target, whatever it is, and contribute to water at the same time, that would be a double win for investors and for the environment and society as a whole. That's a really good point. Thanks, Noir. It was yet another interesting discussion. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out my other conversations with Noir. We've spoken about driving climate impact in public versus private markets, and also the sometimes myopic focus by companies and investors on just scope one and two emissions. Both of these are available on the Net Zero Investor website. Thank you very much, Monica, and looking forward to our next conversation.